Okay. So thank you to everybody for joining. We are continuing our shiur on the tefillah. Last week we began with an introduction to Pesukei de Zimra. And our introduction was a historical coverage, an early history of the Pesukei de Zimra, because most of the early history of the Pesukei de Zimra is shrouded in mystery. It's very nebulous. It's fairly ancient. And what we uncovered to recap, just if we're if we're going to recap, what we uncovered is as follows. As far as we can tell, with the uh, Pesukei de Zimra, the earliest uh, custom for reciting psalms before the tefillah was called Gemirat Halel, or Gomrim Halel. This is mentioned by Rabbi Yossi in the in in Masechet Shabbat Kufir Chetam Ubet, where he says, "Yehei Chalkimi Gomrei Halel B'Kol Yom." And uh, two hundred years later, the Gemara asks, "And what is that? That must be Pesukei De Zimra." So we can see that in Eretz Yisrael, in the time of the Tanaim, they had a custom, or they began a custom, that before the institutionalized statutory prayer, they would begin saying they would begin saying um, psalms. Why exactly would they do these Mizmorim of Tehilim? We don't know. D different theories abound. Some say because of the Drash of Rabbi that came later, that there's a, a tradition that one has to pray to God with praises first. Some say it is because one has to pray to God in, with a gladdened uh, heart. And some say that it's a carryover from the Beis HaMikdash. Well, while in the Beis HaMikdash, the operating liturgy was mostly Psalms, was mostly Tehillim, so when the statutory liturgy, the Amida and the Berches Kriyashima were instituted, they naturally were accompanied by a preparatory period of saying psalms, like almost like a meditative um, introduction to the Psuke de Zimra. Now, in the time of the Tanaim, our knowledge of exactly what they said, how they said it, is unknown. The Bavli only calls it Pesuke de Zimra. And we know from later sources that, much later sources, honestly, that the Babylonian custom was, the, the, the custom of the yeshivos in Bavel, was to, I'm going to begin sharing my screen, was to begin the, um, the custom of the yeshivos in Bavel was to begin with the six, the last six mizmorim, or to begin, whatever, to contain the last six mizmorim of of Tehillim, from Kuf Memhei all the way to Kuf Nun, they would say from Ashrei all the way to Halukal Bikotcho, and that was their Pesuke de Zimra. That's what we know about the Minhag Habavli. The Minhag, and eventually at some point, they bookended the this custom with Brachot. We don't know precisely when the, the this was bracketed, and they did a Bracha in the beginning and a Bracha at the end, but at some point, the Bracha of um, Baruch Shamar came into being. As far as the Nusach HaYushalmi, we know that the Shivos and Eretz Yisrael had a different minag. Their minag was not to say the six halalukas every day, rather it was to say the 15 Shir Hamalot every day. They would start with Kufchaf, and they would do 17 Mizmorim all the way to Kuf Lamed Vav and include Halal Hagadol, as we all know, Hodul Hashem Kitov Kilolam Chastel. And they also bookended it with a different bracha called Birkat Hashir. So let's begin our um, begin where we left off, and let's see how the the um, the Rishonim and Gaonim and others try to paint 
the picture that they have of how Baruch Shamar came into being. So we're going to begin with, um, I'm going to share my screen here to another another slide. Give me a second. I'm going to share my screen to you with the Siddur of Sadia Gaon. Rav Sadia Gaon says as follows. Let me make sure the share is working. Yes. Okay. Sadia Gaon says, This is a translation from the Arabic. Our And our nation has volunteered to read psalms from the book of praises to God, and before and after them, two blessings. Why did they institute to do this? Meaning because, because the believer in God uh, blesses him for all those uh, good things that happened to him throughout the morning from when he wakes up until he begins to pray. As I will explain to you in a separate chapter, aside from the prayers, this separate chapter, I believe, was lost. It was the introduction. And now we're going to see your Sadiq Gaon's um, uh, version of Baruch Shamar. But what's important to notice is that Sadiq Gaon doesn't seem to really know precisely when or how Baruch Shamar was instituted. He leaves it at a very nebulous or right, that that uh, we volunteered these Mizmorim and there was an institution of Brachot, but he doesn't se- seem to know when exactly or where exactly they happened. Meaning that by his time, which is roughly the ninth century, Sadia Gaon already um, understands, already believes that the origins of this are nebulous. So we're talking about a bracha, which much must be at least a few hundred years old for him to no longer have a knowledge of its earlier, uh, of its earliest composition. Now, the first mention of it is the, of course, Rav Moshe Gaon. The first person who mentions it by name is not Rav Sadia Gaon, but Rav Moshe Gaon, uh, in one of the two books from Rav Natranai Gaon that we've mentioned a few times. He says, Rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Gaon, uh, they asked Rabbi Natronai, what do you do if you come late to davening? Um, and you need to catch up to Baruch Hu. So he says, well, you say Baruch Shamar, you say Ashrei, you say the last Haluluka, and then you you close it, meaning you say Ishtabach, and then you and then you go on, and that's what he heard from his Rebbeim. So if Rabbi Moshe Gaon, who lived in the 820s, was saying, or so who ruled Surah in the 820s, was telling us, um, that he heard this from his Rebbeim, then it's definitely, uh, Baruch Shamar is at least, of course, uh, older than him, and the name Baruch Shamar clearly predates him. So that's the first time it's mentioned by name. But what we'll notice here on the screen um, of the Nusach of Sad Gaon is that his Nusach of Baruch Shamar doesn't begin with Baruch Shamar Olam as we're familiar with it today. His version begins without that whole introduction, and that's important to think about, because if you think about the Bracha Baruch Shamar, you'll notice that it's unlike any other bracha we have in all of our portfolio of brachos. And we say a lot of brachos. We're the Jewish people. We have to say at least 100 a day. However, the Baruch Shamar is very different than any other bracha because it begins with an entire poetic introduction. We have an entire introduction before we get to the actual Baruch HaTashem portion. But Rav Sadia Gaon doesn't do that. Rav Sadia Gaon goes ahead and begins immediately with Baruch Atah Hashem, the second portion. Elokeinu melech haolam, hakel avrachaman hagadol vakadoshem hula b'fi amor, beit Yisrael meshubach umfuar tamid v'lashon kol chasidav avadav b'shirei david avdecha, 
נהללך השם אלוקינו בשבחות ובזמירות, נודקה, נשבחך, ונפרלך, נרוממך, נייחדך, נקדישך, נזכיר את שמך וזוכרים מלכינו אלוקינו יחד. ברוך אתה השם, מלך מהולל בדברי שיר ותשבחות לעולם ועד. Fascinating. You can see the similarity to our Baruch Shamar today, for anybody who's familiar with the Baruchah. And there's a couple of expansions here and there. Now, that what the most interesting thing, in my opinion, is not that just that he starts with the second half, but that he has another version of it later on. So let's let's start with, with the obvious. If he begins with the second half of Baruch Shamar, most scholars have looked at this and said, wait a second. That means that this is separate from the first half. And most likely, the first half was added later. It's a poetic introduction, and it was added later. That's why Ifsadi Gaon doesn't have it, because many Jewish communities simply didn't say it. So let's move on. And let's look. He's in the, he's in the, the Tfilot Liachid. But when we move on to the Tfilot Litzibor, when we move on to the, um, the Tfilot, which you say, if you have 10 men or more, What does he say? He says, That's the entire introduction to, to Pesuket Ezimra, a much shorter version of Baruch Shamar. Now, not to, um, conf- not to uh, what's the word, leave out any information. The truth is, the Fsadigon is aware of the poetic introduction of Baruch Shamar. But in his time in the ninth century in Surah, he is telling you, some, he's going to tell you what they did back then. In, on Shabbat, they would add the poetic introduction. Let me show you here on page Kofir Ches in the Siddur of Sadi Agaon. Baruch She'amar v'haya ha'olam. He says, Right? On the, in the Pesukit Zimrah on Shabbat, we add to the beginning of the bracha, Baruch She'amar v'haya ha'olam baruchu. Now, notice here that it's much longer than the typical Baruch Shamar that you might say. Baruch Omarosa, Baruch Gozerim Kayim, Baruch Mirachim Alaburiot, Baruch Mavir Fila, Mavi Ora, Baruch Shinatan Torah Lamo Israel, Baruch Mishlem Sahatalirav, Baruch Hu, Baruch Shain Lafanav, Lo Avlav, Lo Shichav, Lo Chazav, Lo Mirmav, Lo Masapanim, Lo Mikach Shochad, Baruch Kel Chailad, Vekamanesa, Ruchatashim Kimacholam, Hakel, Avrahmanagadova Hakadosh, until until the end of the Bracha. So clearly, if Sadiagon was aware, of this earlier uh, poetic introduction of Baruch Shamar, which was the introduction for the bracha, he simply didn't use it during the weekday. So at least that was not his minhag, either from, e- from Egypt or from Surah. Now, a couple of decades later, or, or well, it's or later, like a decade and a half before, I think, Avram Gaon has the Baruch Shamar, but he has it for daily use. And he has the Baruch Shamar very similarly to the way we have it, as, as, as far as Daniel Goldschmidt is able to uncover it. He has Baruch Shamar Ve'alam Baruch Hu, Baruch Mar Vasa Bogozem Kim, Baruch Mar Vashit, Baruch Mar Achim Ala'aretz, Baruch Mar Achim Ala'briyot, Baruch Mar Shalim Sechat Avliyurev, Baruch Kelchai La'ad Vekam Al'Netzach. Did I read that right? Baruch Hu, Baruch Shemo. That's essentially Ramram Gaon's version, and the end also ends very similarly to the way of Sadi Gaon's ends. So, as you can see, Rav Sadi Gaon and Rabbi... Um, Ibsadia Gaon and Rabbi Amram Gaon both are familiar with the introduction of Baruch Shamar. However, they are not familiar with, Ibsadia Gaon is not familiar with using it during the weekday. And it seems clear to them that Baruch Shamar is a poetic introduction of some sort. Now, there was a famous traveler named Natan Habavli. Natan Habavli 
we know very little about. He was a historian, a Jewish historian, and a traveler that lived in roughly the 10th century. The only thing we know about Natan HaBavli is that he traveled to Sura for some reason. He visited the yeshivot in Bavel. And I'll display on my screen a relief in the in the Diaspora Museum in Eretz Yisrael, where they have a relief trying to portray of Ashi teaching uh, 70 students, the, the, the Kala, right? The, the, you have the rows of students in the yeshiva of Sura. And a lot of what we know about the inner workings of the Yeshiva Sura comes from this uh, this record, this historical record that Renasen Habavli actually provides us with. And there's various different versions of his story. Um, it's translated from the Arabic, and so it's a little bit awkward. But he says a very important thing, and he was witness to a um, an episode where they were hiring, hiring, whatever, in, uh, coronating, I should say, the new Reish Galuta in Babel, meaning the new leader of the Jewish people, not the, he was the new political leader, not the new religious leader. And so they were going to do a coronation for the new Rosh Galut, or the head of the exile, so to speak, the exilarch. And this coronation ceremony was very grand because he's a very powerful person and getting it is a big honor. So this ceremony was really grand. And in the middle of his um, description of how the ceremony goes, he mentions something kind of interesting. He says like this, he says that on Shabbat, they would they would have a whole procession to take him to shul. And then they would say, right, you would have the 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 Rosh the Rosh Galuta would be like hidden, like for the drama to expose him later, uh, behind the Rosh Yeshiva. And then the, they would have young lads who knew how to sing. And what would they do? On Shabbat, he, they would be in the Beit HaKnesset. The Chazan Matzchil, the Chazan would begin the services, because this is a very special Shabbat. So they would begin the services with, with the tefillah of Baruch Shamar. And this, the, the, the lads, the young, the, young, the young men who would be the choir, would answer to every verse of Baruch Shamar with Baruch Hu. Like every day, hand off Pesuket Zimra to different people, just like the Moroccans do today. And, and here goes the rest of the story, which is just the procession of the tefillah. Now, some scholars have, have, uh, have cautioned how to use this letter of Rav Nassim Habavli, because you, if he was a visitor, he might have mistaken something that he, that he saw when he was visiting as, a, as something that was special when it was re really normal. And he could have seen something that was normal, but he thought was really special. Uh, did I say that correctly? Something that was normal, he thought was special. He could have thought something was special, but was really normal. So it's not clear if this was the way they did it every Shabbat or if they did this just for the inauguration of the Reish Galuta. Now, Rav Shlaimi, who the Rappaport, was a Rav in the 1800s in, in, in Europe. And he was very excited by this, um, by this uh, what's it called? A letter for this, uh, this historical document from Nassim Habavli. He was, he was involved in the Wissenschaft. He, he was one of the Orthodox people who were very excited about Jewish studies. And he saw this and he said, you know what? This is brilliant. This tells us that because they would say Baruch Shamar and then everyone would answer Baruch Hu, this tells us that Baruch Shamar was originally a poem. It was in a poem written to be, to be recited responsively. It was like an introduction to the Baruch HaTashem Melech at the end. And, uh, sorry, HaKadosh at the end. And that's why, um, that's how it it was um, that was the genesis of Baruch Shamar? It began as a poetic introduction to um, to the to the first bracha, and we can learn it from here. Many other scholars rejected this because the truth is, 
it's attractive to say that, but the words, simply the words don't, don't support it. The, the words of the, of, of the, um, and I'll just read them again. The, the words of the letter, I, I don't speak Arabic, but the Hebrew says that they would reply to every section of it, Baruch Hu, but nowhere in there does it ever make it as if, uh, as if Baruch Shammah is something new or novel or, or there's some special, uh, you know, merit to having such a poet. It speaks about a poem. It, it speaks about Baruch Shammah very matter-of-factly. So they don't really align. Most scholars don't align with Shlomo Yehuda Rappaport's understanding here that it, it began its life as, as a piyot, as strictly a hymn, which they would recite to introduce the Pesuke de Zimra. So what other ideas do we have as to how this might have, how this might have um, evolved? So Ismail Elbogan, who famously wrote the um, prayer in the, let me, let me take my, give me a second. Sorry, I don't have a screenshot for you, but Jewish liturgy, um, a comprehensive history, which is uh, originally in German. He has a different approach. He believes that the Baruch Sha'amar is really a messianic prayer, meaning it's a, it's a, tefillah about the geula. It's a tefillah that hopes for Mashiach. And this tefillah is kind of like a, a conclusion, a concluding prayer of, of, of asking for Mashiach based on the psukim that you had previously. Because the services in the morning began with Atahu Hashem not began. After you finish Lola Mihayadamir Shemayim Baseter Kibagaloi, um, Prior to Baruch Sha'amar, you'll have the Atahu Hashem Elokim, and the Atahu Hashem Elokim section ends with The end of that introductory paragraph of, of the pre-Pesuket Zimra, the Lolam Yehe Adam section, ends with a messianic tone. And because it ends with a, a, a hope for the messianic redemption, therefore we add Baruch Shamar as like a conclusion. It was originally added. Baruch Shamar Vahayalam Baruch Hu was a conclusion to those earlier verses. Now, personally, I don't see it because in the versions of Baruch Shamar that I have seen, I've never seen the language be so strong to invoke necessarily a messianic tone. I do hear what he's saying, like the Baruch Goes Armakayim and, and a few of the other terms in some of the expanded versions, but. I, I will defer respectfully. He's he's he, he's seen a lot more manuscripts than I have. He's a lot smarter than I am. So I would I would defer respectfully to his opinion that he believes that there is a a tone of it which is mashichos that it has some messianic geula redemption kind of tones into the tefillah. Now, the earlier parts he does point out that the earlier uh, texts that lack the introduction verify that it's a later expansion or some sort of hymn, but. He says that, listen, think about it. If you have the, the first part um, resembling the brachos of Halal, and also it's not very relevant to the second part, it must be a much later expansion. Now, one of the things he brings in, which to, 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 to illustrate his point, is really fascinating. And I want to show this to you. Many Jews today, not many, but unfortunately, less than we, we would like, um, there was a many Jews today are familiar with the term of the Greek Jews, but the Greek Jews, unfortunately, the Romaniote communities were wiped out by Hitler in the Holocaust. However, there some of their Torah and some of their tefillah still remains, at least 
on um, am I, let me see if I'm sharing the correct screen. I am. Okay. So a lot of their Torah and a lot of their tefillah remains, but unfortunately this minhug of the Greek community um, is not, uh, what's it called? Is not no longer practiced. But he brings from here that he shows how the last pesukim here of the pesukim de Zimra were deliberately added, Baruch Hashem Etzion, Shulchan Yishlaim Hallelujah, that deliberately um, are finishing the sections in, uh, what's it called? The sections in the machsar that end off with messianic tropes. He he believes that the, the that this machsar here, and I won't go into the specific verses, but this the the this is an early. This is from 1523 in Venice, by the way. This manuscript I'm showing you. Um, it's not a manuscript, I should say. It's, it's an early printed book, and in, uh, one of the earliest printed books. But because the Sukkim before seemed to be speaking about, in his view, be speaking about redemption, and Baruch Shama follows it, he sees that as a support for his uh, opinion. Now, if you look at the, the version of the Romanio just for fun, look how expanded it is. You'll see Baruch we can go on. Oh boy, this is long. This we saw. Whew, that was a mouthful. Sorry for anybody listening on the on the on the recording. Regardless, he shows he takes the Romaniot edition, and he goes to town, and he and he believes that the Greek edition will prove to you that the uh, that the gist of Baruch Shamar is a messianic um, hope and a messianic. Uh, prayer for redemption, which follows the Pesuket Zimra before it. Or I shouldn't call them Pesuket Zimra, but relevant, uh, relatively speaking, the the introductory Berchus uh, Shachar before it. Okay, that's that's probably the more correct term. But now here's one more thing you have to see just before we go on. The Romaniot community was also fiercely, tenaciously hanging on to their older... Um, hold up. Did I just lose everything? I might have. They were tenaciously holding on to their earlier minhagim. And the Greek community followed earlier, they followed a lot of the Minagaritz Yisrael. And the Minagaritz Yisrael was to say, as we said earlier, the Birchas Hashir, and not to say the Baro Shamar. And if you look in the Minag of Shabbos, the Greek communities actually do this. Look at this. They, they, as we mentioned last week, some of, in the later times, the the communities in Eretz Yisrael would say Birchas Hashir in addition to Pesukei de Zimra. So here you have that that exact thing. You have the Greek communities on Shabbat saying the Birchas Hashir with the Pesukei de Zimra. And I'll just show it to you. To tell Am Melech Befi Kol Shishim Vishrei Levav Kerev Yisrael Mitromam Mishtabach Shimchama Kenu Makelot Yisrael Amachayit Bar Shimchav Zechacha. Um, and I'll, I won't go through the whole thing because I'll bore everybody who's listening to the recording, but it ends, And then, hold up, where's the end of it? I know there was an end of it here. Sorry. 
I'm probably missing it with my eyes. I think they ended it. What did they say? Here it is. Is this it? No, sorry. Okay, I must have lost it with my eyes. But originally, I was able to find the beginning and end of this uh, of this year. Okay, let's move onward. Now, in walks Rabies of Heinemann in the 60s. And Rabies of Heinemann sees Al Bogan's work. He sees Shemihud Rappaport's work. And he sees everybody's work. He's really the follow-up uh, scholar in the, in the in the field of Jewish liturgy. And as we've discussed before, he takes the form-critical approach. While El Bogan would take the historical, historiographical, the philological approach to research. Um, let me admit, Gary. Hold up. Okay. Um, hi, Gary. How are you doing? Welcome. So... In walks Rebbeis of Heinemann, and the race of Heinemann takes the form-critical approach to studying the tefillah. And he publishes a sefer called HaTefillah B'Tkufa Satanayim B'Mayrayim, which is later translated into um, English, Prayer in the Talmud with, with Richard Saracen. So he takes this approach of the form-critical method to understanding liturgy. And you have to look at the content, the structure, and the form of every prayer to get a better understanding of why it was instituted. And he has a very important a yesod. He has a very important uh, idea which he establishes. And this is something we've discussed briefly before by Kaddish, but we have to go into it a little bit more now. He believes that there are two, critically, two forms of prayer composition. There were prayers that were composed in order to pray, as silly as it sounds. There were prayers that were that were composed, that were written for the sake of worship, prayer for prayer itself. And that's what he would call tefillat beta knesset, tefillot which were written for the tefillah of beta knesset. While there's another class of prayer that was written, not so much to accompany prayer, but really to accompany Torah study. If a group of people were going to read from the Torah, expound from the Torah, give a drasha, or do kriyasa Torah, they would say certain prayers that would accompany that study and that exposition. So there's a tremendous difference in the nature of the forms of prayers that were written for the study hall, Tfilat Beit HaMidrash and Tfilot Beit HaKnesset. The most important distinction, of course, is that they were not written to be statutory. They were written, in a sense, to be natural. Many of them were ad hoc. They were just ways that the preacher himself would begin his study lesson. He would begin by saying, uh, you know, uh, let's say, Yehishma HaGadol Mevorach. Or he would begin with Alakoliet Gadal, or he would begin with um, any form of introduction. Um, I'm trying to think off the bat, but I'm going to read them for you for a second. And he would begin with any of these introductions to the uh, to his study period, and then he would end off the study period with more uh, words of prayer and words of praise. We we discussed recently that the in Kaddish that the rule was. And there were exceptions, but the rule was that when you were ending a study session, you would end with a messianic doxology, meaning a, a praise rubric which hoped for the redemption. And Kaddish is the is the prime example of that. This, these messianic doxologies were called in Aramaic nechemata, a nechematot, which is why in Kaddish we say because this was a whole genre of prayer that was composed for uh, the ending the Beit Hamidrash study. Now, another form, which is very um, 
uh, very blatant in in the in the in the um, in the in the Beit Hamedrash in the Tefilot Beit Hamedrash style is that they are in the third person. You just have to think about that for a second. Almost all of the Tefilah that we say, proper Tefilah, whether it's stuff that was instituted by Rigam Liel Biyavne or by the Anshiknesat Akdola, most of that proper prayer is written in the second person. We speak to God directly. When, whether it's Baruch Hashem uh, uh, in, in Shmon Esrei, uh, sorry, and we say Atachon in Ladam Dat, Ata Kadosh, uh, whether it's in Yotzer Or, many of the statutory prayers that were written for worship speak to God in the second person. But speaking of God in the third person is really foreign to, uh, to at least to original institutionalized statutory prayer. We just don't see uh, in, 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 in worship prayer. We don't see in synagogue liturgy that we refer to God in the third person. However, in uh, Beis Medrash Tfilos, in, in, in the study hall prayers, it's very, very common. And I can give you so many examples, but let's first start with, let's first start with some examples for, uh, of, um, of the ways they would begin the drasha. You would have, um, uh, let's see here, Baruch, yeah, hold up. This is just the ways they would begin the sermon. Um, we have this in Targum Yishami. Uh, we have, this is in Aramaic, of course, because it was the colloquial. Then very often, if they would say the word HaKadosh Baruch they would um, add other epithets. They would say, but let's say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Yehei Shmo HaGadom Avrach V'Laolam L'Olmei Olamim, or Baruch Hu She'ein L'Fanav Lo Avla V'Lo Shecha V'Lo Maso Panim. Right? We have all of these examples where within the study, they would interject with, um, they would interject with words of praise. Here's an example here in Tanad Ve'Eliyahu which is going to be striking to any of you here. And am I sharing my screen? Um... Which screen am I sharing? Yeah, beautiful. Here's an example that will be striking to you in the Tanah Velia Zuta, and this is what we borrow a lot of Baruch Shamar from. Baruch Shamar Vehaya Olam Baruch Hu Baruch Osim Asi Bereishit Baruch Omar Veoseh Baruch Osim Kain Baruch Shezachar Tarishonot Vehevir Tachronot Shahayel Olamar Nerdi Natan Sechon V'Lo Namar Natan Reicho. Let's give another example. We have in the Gemara in Brachot. No, this is not really. Uh, this is this I could I could show you, but this is not really a base medrash prayer. This is just saying that it's a bracha. If you see. If you see the um, uh, the destruction of Babel, you would say Baruch Omer Ve'oseh Gozer Mekayim. We could see that this language was already used in the time of the Amorim. Uh, okay, and then we have. I'm sorry, I'm finding it with my eyes. Right, we have Baruch She'ein L'fanav Lo Avlav Lo Shichav Lo Maso Panim. Okay, let me just let me jump out of these uh, out of these languages. Most of the languages I'm showing you here on the screen are just proofs. That that uh, the Amaram were familiar with these languages, but if I'm going to look at actual tefilos, and I'm sorry for the distraction, but if we look at the actual tefilos, a lot of them are striking. Like you would have a, um, a typically, let's say we have a tefilah from prayer. Like you hear at that's third person, right? You hear at someone from the God of our God, uh, uh, it's not third person. I'm sorry, and and you hear at someone from right? We begin a second person prayer that comes from that comes from synagogue liturgy. But when you transfer it to the base Hamedrish, you have a completely different type of Hiratzon. You have the Hiratzon gets changed into. Um, oh shoot, I wish I could find it. Sorry to everybody on the recording, but I'm a little sick and not operating at my fastest here. 
Um, it's gone. Does anybody here can help me? We say it, we say it here at son uh at son we say this one after Kriyata Torah. Right, you switch the Yiratzon format from the first person to from the second person to the third person when it comes to the Beit when it comes to the Beit Hamidrash. When we're actually going to say um, something by the Sefer Torah, we also have Avar Achamim Hu Yirachem Amamusim Avarachaman Baruch Hu Yachzir Shbitenu V'Shbita Mokol Beit Yisrael. That's the that's the the Temani version. We have, of course, Al Dayit Barach Vishdavach Shmei Kula Ditraibin Veyat Sadikaya. Oh, here it is. Here it's on Fenei Alavinu Shemayim. The Konei Beit Chayinu LaHashiv Et Shechinatenu B'Tochenu B'Mehira. We have Yikum Purkan, famously in Shemaya, Kamei Shemaya. We have the Yikum Purkan, which comes before, um, which comes. I'm sorry, Min Kamei Shemaya, which comes again in the third person in the name of heaven. And at the end, if you think about it, by Uvalatzion, we have Baruch Alokenu Shubaranu Chvadov Yivdilanu Min Hatoim. Right again in the third person because it's ending after Uvalitzion, which is another messianic doxology. And this is a br- almost like a birchas Torah at the end of, it's like a birchas Torah at the end of Torah study. So in his view, um, there are many ways to identify a tefillah from the Beis HaMedrash. Very often the languages, right? The, the form, we have you have the, you'll have the 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 it's it's sorry it's in the third person you'll have words like kadush baruch Hu. you'll have words like of uh, harachaman you would have words like I'm trying to remember offhandled examples he gives I'm sorry I'm, I'm just blanking on it like baruch Hu baruch Shemo. there's a few there's a few there's a few examples regardless Abayis of Heineman um, believes strongly the baruch shamar the haya alam baruch Hu, was originally a messianic doxology, just like uh, Kaddish, just like um, Uvalitzion. Originally, Baruch Shamar was used as a as a way to end Torah study. So, if the first section of Baruch Shamar before the Baruch Hashem was used to end Torah study, how did it end up at the beginning of Pesukei de Zimra? For that, he has a brilliant idea. He says that think about it when the when the Pesukei de Zimra became a part of the statutory prayer, became part of the, the prayer that was considered halachic. People, the, the liturgy was changing because in the time of the Goanim and in the, like, the, as Rasadi Goan says, we volunteered. And in the time of the Rishonim, many people saw Pesuket de Zimra as optional. But once Pesuket de Zimra became halachic, suddenly the beginning of davening was no longer Baruch Hashem Vorach. It used to be that the beginning of davening was Tfilat Yotzer, right? They would come to Shul and they would, they would begin with Baruch Hashem Amvorach. And this was the way it was in many places in the in the time of the Rishonim. However, once Pesukah de Zimra retained, became, uh, got a stronger halachic status and became more institutionalized as the introduction to liturgy, to, to the, to, sorry, to the prayer section of liturgy, that's when they had a new situation. Baruch, Baruch Hashem Amvorach is not the beginning of davening. How are we going to da- begin begin davening with Baruch Hashem? It's kind of weird to start the davening with just a bracha. They wanted some sort of introduction, and because they wanted intro- an introduction, they took their favorite one. They took one of their favorite uh, uh, what's the word? One of their favorite Beis Hamedrash prayers, which is written in the third person, Baruch Shamar Olam, and everybody would answer Baruch Hu. So instead of saying Baruch Hu, they would say Baruch Hu, and that was the way people softened the introduction to the davening when they were adding Pesukah de Zimra to the beginning. And all of those uh, those um, 
phrases in Baruch Shamar would be responded to the Kahal with Baruch Hu. And that was its original institution. This was how it was done. It was used as it was originally came from the study hall. It was used as a way to close Torah study. But when they wanted to start off uh, the, the Pesuket de Zimra with, a, with an introduction, they felt like this uh, prayer unit, this prayer rubric of Baruch Shamar Olam was the most appropriate one to add as a poetic introduction. Again, there's a little bit of a leap there because you have to, you know, you have to leap to to them choosing one of so many different uh, prayers that were, uh, what's the word, that were based on Medrash prayers. And there, there's dozens in, in, in Medrash, there's dozens in, in Targum, there's dozens of base Medrash prayers. However, um, he believes strongly, just based on the on the form of this introduction, that it must have come from the Beis Hamadrash. It's not native to the Beis Knesses because it's written in the third person, and because the language um, comes from Medrash, and because it's messianic in nature. Okay. Lastly, we'll just uh, recap. Um, I'm not sure if we need to, but we'll just recap uh, what Ezra Fleischer accomplished. Ezra Fleischer went to the Gniza and unraveled a massive amount of um, text, uh, early text from the Sidurim of Eretz Yisrael. And one of the things he did find was that the, uh, and he deconstructed, he, he's the one last week that we that we, that we we spoke about that that figured out how in Eretz Yisrael they used to say Birch Hashir. But one of the things he found was that there was a prayer book written for roughly, I think it was the 11th century. Yeah, he has the exact dates in, in his book. But there's a prayer book written for um, a chazan who was going to say the prayers in front of the Rashi Shivas of Eretz Yisrael. So because he was going to say it in front of the Rashi Shiva, clearly it must have been a clean version. It must have been like, you know, halakhically accepted. And in the yeshiva, they clearly said Baruch Shamar. So let me see if I have it in front of me, if I can get through the whole thing. It says, they, they would say, Baruch Hashem, Elkeinu Achalam, HaKelam, Ulova, Fiyamob, Meshubach, Kol Chasidav. This is the Birch Hashir. It's very similar to the opening Baruch of Baruch Shamar. Then you have Yahalulucha Hashem at the end of all the Mizmarim, they would say. It's a Yahalulucha Hashem Kino Kamasech of Achasidecha. This is the end of of um of Halal that we say today, which is their Birchas Hashir, with the, the, the Bracha at the end of Tilas Hashir. And then finally, if I can find it quickly enough, my apologies, they would also say Baruch Shamar at the end of, of that. Um, they would also say Baruch Shamar at the end of that. A rubric, and here's I believe this was the the manuscript that I found. If you look all the way at the top, I'm sorry, it says no. This this one begins with Birch Sashir. I'm sorry, but in one of the manuscripts, and I'm sorry I couldn't find it in time for the shear. Um, in one of the manuscripts, it does have the whole Baruch Shamar, the part of the Baruch Shamar, which was recited in front of the Gonim from the Yeshiva Sanerit Yisrael. So clearly, the Baruch Shamar was a very important bracha. The Pesukah de Zimra of, of the Babylonians did have a major impact on the Minigavarit Yisrael, so much so that they decided to adopt it as well. And it's also, I think it's, I think it's mentioned, it's not mentioned in Sofrim, but they they clearly had the Minhag to adopt it as well. And the similarities between the first Baruch and Baruch Shamar are very clear. It's a, the, their Baruch HaSashir is very similar to Baruch Shamar. And um, he doesn't really make a strong comment about, about Heinemann's approach versus Elbogen's approach, but he does uh, show definitively that Baruch Shamar is related to the Birchas Hashir. Sorry, I shouldn't say Baruch Shamar. The, the second half of Baruch Shamar is related to the Birchas Hashir of the 
Talmud of the Yeshivot of, of Yerushalayim. Now, what's valuable about that piece of information is that once you put two and two together, that the brachos of the Yeshivos in Eretz Yisrael and the brachos of the Yeshivos in Babel for the introduction to Pesukah de Zimra are very similar, that would lend credence to the idea that it was a very early bracha. And it's very likely that Baruch Sha'amar was composed at the time of the early Amoraim. Otherwise, we wouldn't see this kind of homogenous, we wouldn't see this kind of parallel between the two of them. It seems that in their time, there were quite a few Birchot HaHalel, and these were the most um, popular Birchot HaHalel, which got used uh, by the various people who would who would use this voluntary section of prayer called Besuket Zimra or called Tefillat Hashir in the, in, in the custom of Eretz Yisrael. Okay. Uh, apologies to anybody watching on the recording or, or listening. I was, I was a little bit sick tonight, so I've just expended the last uh, 2% of my battery. And Bezrat Hashem, next week we will continue um, with the discussion of the other sections of Pesuket Zimra, such as Hodul Hashem Kiru Bishmo and Hichavod. Um, I don't know if it'll be next week because next week is Hanukkah, but Bezrat Hashem, we will learn together again soon.